0: What's up, peeps? Before you get into the episode, just a quick message. Did you know that Rebranded Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent? Rebranded Safety is essentially our campaign to achieve our purpose, which is to make the working world better by Rebranded Safety, one interaction at a time. We value a people-centred approach that delivers positive impact on the risk. We deliver three types of services, technical, transformational and fire. It's the last show I wanted to talk to you about. If you value what we value and you want some support driving a culture change or decluttering your safety systems, or you want to improve human performance and it's our transformational support that can help you, or maybe you want a highly experienced registered fire risk assessor to carry out an assessment on your building, design an emergency plan or review the fire safety design for your new building, then it's our fire support service that can help you but before you get in touch with us it's important that you want to have impact on the actual risk and you value a people-centered approach if you don't that's fine you'll find someone that can help you but if you do value those then get in touch with us at riskfluentltd.com or email me james at riskfluentltd.com but for now i'll let you get into the episode This this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebounding Safety. Today, we are talking all about mental health and kind of specifically burnout within mental health as well. Let's jump into it and try to tell you some more about it. Let's go. The problem in safety Crushing a stereotype, brought to you by Riss What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. So if you're new here, hit subscribe and the bell and follow and whatever it is you're listening/slash watching on you know, hit some magical algorithm-type buttons. Rebranding Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent, which is our own health and safety consultancy. We deliver two types of services. Technical, which is the health and safety that we all know and love. Uh, fire safety, uh, fits within that. Um, health and safety training, ISOs, retainers, competent persons, whatever you want to call it, all of that normal safety stuff. If you need some help, Let us know whether it's one-off projects or long-term relationships and partnerships. We are there for you or we offer the transformational side of things as well where maybe you've built quite a nice foundation and you're like we're not really getting quite the behaviors that we want or maybe you've had a long period of like really good health and safety performance and then all of a sudden you had a bad run and you want to try and work out what that what that is maybe you just want a bit of a culture change program give us a call We'll have a chat, see if we can help you solve whatever problem it is that you've had. But otherwise, Risk Fluent is all about building confidence, not just compliance. So if you need some help, give us a call. If you just want to chat, still give us a call. Okay, in today's episode, we're talking to a gentleman who I absolutely love. Uh, a gentleman called Alex Clark. Alex Clark is a member of Project Militam, that's how I know him. Um, He joined PM a while ago and just every time he comes on, I love him. He's got such a beautiful way of speaking, but yet really like relaxed way of speaking as well. He has some blinds, which I love. Uh, He's funny as fuck, which is helpful, Um, but also very passionate about his topic. So Alex has uh, an intimate relationship with burnout and mental health, and he very openly and honestly tells his story uh, for us today to hopefully bring some awareness um, to you all and, and get a bit of a bit of a better understanding uh, of what burnout might look like. Um, but ultimately, we all have our own stories, right? And I think most people listen to us so have probably experienced it in some way. Um, and then we start to talk about kind of the campaigns and how we deal with that stuff. Um, because we were essentially feeling like a lot of it was a bit like a plaster on a bullet wound, a bit like lip service. So, coalition let us know what you think. But anyway, that's enough for me let's jump into the episode and let Alex introduce himself. All right, Alex, welcome to Rerunning Safety, mate. Hello there, how are you doing? Not too bad, thank you, mate. Not too bad, thank you very much. Do you want so. to introduce yourself for those of those of the listeners that might not know you?
1: My name's Alex. Um, I operate as a occupational safety advisor for a local authority in the grand, wonderful north of England. Um, I've been in the safety world now for... This is my third year. Uh, It's a second career for me. Um, I did my first part of my professional life as a professional model maker that then branched in from architectural work to museums, visitor centres, attractions, ultimately theme parks. Um, I learned an immense amount of an awful lot of things at that time. Um, But I also learned about the limits of human endurance, shall we say um And on that on that journey, I experienced two quite profound burnouts. So that's one of the reasons why I thought it would be a good idea to come on the pod with you and kibitz about those, and maybe have the listeners think about World Mental Health Week is either coming up or it's past, depending on when this goes out. um To maybe reflect on, okay, what are we doing with that? How are we using that? Who is it reaching and what can we maybe do
0: better? Mm. I mean, I've always, just to completely pull it away from the subject that you have just beautifully introduced, like a perfect radio host. I'm always really curious about what a career as a model builder is. The amount of times you've been on a PM call and introduced yourself to like a new member and then like, yeah, I previously was a model builder. And I'm like, what an awesome job but clearly there were some issues that which we'll talk about but yep. wow uh, that just cool when i just think models i just think like warhammer that's all i can think of really
1: (laughs) somebody's got to design them and make them um no i I didn't do anything as kind of you know cool and funky as warhammer or kind of hornby trains or anything like that i actually started out as an architectural model maker so my role and I, i fell into model making because i was trying to be a graphic designer back in the late 90s when everybody seemed to be wanting to be a graphic designer and my tutor bless his heart took me aside and said alex you're a bit shit at this. But we noticed, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're a bit shit at this. But we noticed that every opportunity you get, you're trying to do something in three dimensions. So you're doing all sorts have you ever thought of being a model maker? And I'm thinking, no, I never even thought that was a job. Okay, looked into it. Turns out that there was quite a, a scene back then. And I thought, okay, fine. So I went to model making college. There is a thing.
0: What the fuck was model making college?
1: Well, I've got to be honest with you, it was a bit shit too. Um, I went in there with hobbyist knowledge because I'd always built models. It had always been, you know, as my brother rightly pointed out, probably too late for me to have responded appropriately to it. but it was my happy place. you know, if I was in school and I'd been bullied, which I, I took a lot of, um, or I'd had a bad day or if I was feeling down, I'd go into my bedroom and I'd just stick bits of shit together and make things out of it. Mm. And it was my happy place. And then I found, wow, I could do this and get money for it. So I went to a college in Oxfordshire. Um, not quite close enough to Oxford to say I went to Oxford, but it's good enough for me. Um, studied it for a year, learned absolutely nothing, uh, but I got work experience at a company in Clapham in London, uh, which built architectural models for architects for the purpose of planning applications, for the purpose of testing method, testing design Um, for the purpose of marketing. Um, I've got a whole bevy of stories and weird things that occurred in that strange place in 1997. Um, But I did that for for eight years. I was freelancing around the um, architectural model making um, services in London. And then I eventually moved up to York, um, where I took a position as the head of department for a museums and visitor centres interactive manufacturing company where we would be making scale models or mechanical electronic interactives for museums. Um, For example, things like Eureka in Halifax, the Me and My Body Gallery. We did work for the New Museum of Liverpool, designing models, interactives, audiovisual displays, set works, thematics. Over time, the company grew, and we ended up branching out into providing the thematics for theme parks. So if you've ever been to Thorpe Park um, with the saw, roller coaster we did all of the all of the big tape all of the big circular saws, and the injections and all the you know the, the, the shotgun on a um pivot wire. so we did all of that so yeah it was I, it all started out
0: because it was a shit graphic designer <laughs> and and how does one get into safety off the back of that uh
1: you, you get made redundant um because the company got so big and it was unable to really sustain itself it had gone PLC and it just wasn't quite able to sustain because it's such a weird and fungible subject because what you're basically doing is you're creating and inventing the most novel, unique, and, you know, you're inventing shit. You know, everybody wants something different. You can't just go to a shop and just buy a different thing off the shelf or create, you know, buy something unique. We had to design and make everything. So, Sometimes things worked, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes you need a lot more R&D sometimes, and you could never guarantee your margins. And that was the problem. And so we had a couple of jobs that were harder than others. And ultimately another company didn't survive. Um, So I was made redundant. Where I ended up in safety was the fact that while I developed an awful lot of skill, because building models, you're dealing with materials, you're dealing with processes, you're also dealing with project management, production management, workshop management, health and safety. All of these things: training people, dealing with clients, dealing with suppliers. Um, you don't actually really get any qualifications for any of it because it's all vocational. It's all learnt on the job. If you need to learn something, you just fucking get off your ass and learn it. Um, and so that's what I would do. When I was made redundant, I had an absolute shit ton of skill, but I couldn't hold, I couldn't hang my hat on any of it in an interview because I didn't have anything to qualify me. I only had a BTEC National Diploma in Graphics that I scraped through. So. I had to basically start at the bottom again. So Mm -hmm. I'd gone from a middle management position and I ended up working as a healthcare assistant at our local hospital for a couple of years. Um, Literally, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying this to undermine any of the work that HCAs do, but I was basically a ward assistant. I was helping people with their care plans. I was, you know, providing personal cares to people. I was, you know, I was nursing, um, I wasn't emotionally strong enough for that job I will hasten to add that is a incredibly powerfully strong willed job that you know that people need to understand it is fucking hard um, and hack goes off to anybody in that field yeah. um, and then an opportunity arose at the lo- uh, my local authority uh, to take on an apprenticeship as a safety dude and I thought, huh ah, I can transfer a bit of my old skill into this I can travel a bit you know I can bring a bit of who I used to be into this field and three years later here
0: I am an award-winning apprentice I might add
1: I will have you I, I'm you might say that I'm not going to blow my own
0: trumpet James <laughs> I'll blow it for you mate <laughs> <laughs> thank you darling so we uh, you beautifully um introduced the topic and I took us completely off of that but that was really insightful thank you very much it was nice to know a little bit more yeah about you. um so why did you why did you approach to talk about burnout initially
1: I think it's because it's something that i've not really heard anybody properly talk about um, It's something that happens to people and it's it's one of those things that you don't realize it's happening until it's happened mm. okay and it's something that I think we as both safety professionals and also people who are involved with decision-making processes in businesses or organizations of any kind, we need to really get out in front of this because there are tools, there are resources out there to help people. And where I become frustrated with the provision that we have and things like World Mental Health Week and National Mental Health Day and awareness campaigns is the fact that they seem to be a little bit after the fact okay, this is the support that happens after you've blown a gasket. Um, when really there's things that we should be focusing on putting in place to say, okay, how can we stop people going over the fucking cliff? You know, and I mean that both figuratively and also, you know, factually, and that because I was driven to the point of near suicide on more than one occasion. um during my, um, you know, my mental journey, if you like, um, and I'm happy to talk about any of that because I see, you know, from my perspective as somebody who is a depression and suicide ideation survivor, it's a way of me getting value out of my experience. You know, it, it comes to nothing if I go through all of that hell and I drag my illustrious wife and my friends and my you know, colleagues through that journey with me, which is fucking hard for everybody involved. Um, and I don't get some positivity out of it, so I thought it would be it would be nice to you know sit down and just get this story out there, um, so that maybe again if if this you know show goes out before or after uh, World Mental Health Week, we can maybe reflect on what we've actually done, how are we reaching people, what are we talking to people about, are we doing this to people rather than are we doing it with them. Are we having a conversation or are we just having a diatribe? Um, And I think that, that to me is that driver. I think as well, I was inspired by your illustrious colleague, Colin Nottage's, um, well, his takeover podcast in that, you know, from the interesting health and safety podcast where Elisa and Crystal um, did a reflection on world women's day. Um, And I was listening to it and I was thinking, I completely get your point. You know, it, every day should be fucking women's day. It, you know, we, why do we need to make a big fucking deal out of it? It's because we're not doing fucking enough. It, it's a good thing that it's out there, but I don't think it really satisfies the need. I think we're doing it. There's an element of tokenism there. Um, you know, so while, and I think, you know, I, I agree with their conclusions and that it's good that we have it, but I wish we didn't bloody need it, mm. you know? And I think World Mental Health Week and that and World Mental Health Day kind of fall into that same trap you know we we all receive those torrents or hopefully again it's that weird paradox but hopefully we receive all oh, oh, these are resources these are resources have this have that i mean i'm part of our well-being champions um scheme at the authority and i'll get five six seven emails a week of all these resources that you can go to you can go to and, oh please distribute it and it's just so haphazard it's a, this avalanche of oh look at this look at this when actually what i'm I guess what I'm wanting to hear or what I'm wanting to say is, OK, we're going to actually get people together and say, as people who have got certified wonky brains or you've got your own specific emotional or you know, psychological needs, what can we do to help you not fall off the cliff in the end anyway? What can we do to put in place to say, actually, let's prevent this or let's manage this rather than Let's sweep up the pieces at the end when we'll send you off to Remploy or we'll send you off to a, you know, to a self-referral or we'll send you off to a a support group or we'll just give you a clap when you go to see, um, you know, CBT um, therapy, etc. So for me, I think it's about getting that conversation started with regards to burnout. Um, I don't know how many people are familiar with burnouts. I don't know whether or not anybody's experienced it firsthand. Well, correction, I'm sure that people have experienced it firsthand. I don't know whether people necessarily realize they have experienced it firsthand. Um, because like I say, burnout is something that occurs to you and you only realize it's really happened once it happened. Um, what I was saying before about the, the work I used to do, um, it was deadline-based, it was time-constrained, There were usually budgetary constraints. We had to make a profit. Um, You usually have all of the problems with suppliers delivering on time. We were inventing things and creating novel solutions to very complicated and exciting projects. Now, don't get me wrong. It was fucking brilliant when it went well, but it can be very, very difficult when it doesn't. I started with a team of, well, 2014, um, I had a team of three under me and I was working alongside another department and we were involved with making models. The company had gone into public, um, it had gone public, it had become a PLC and we suddenly had a completely different set of drivers. So instead of it being a cottage industry that had just grown, we now all of a sudden had to satisfy big wigs and shareholders and people with laptops who were only concerned about the bottom line, rather than the intricacies of making a one- to-50-scale model of the giant causeway, the dynamic of the company had changed. Um, it had gone from being developing the portfolio to satisfying a turnover and satisfying margins. And what had happened was the difficulty with model-making is the fact that it's so labor-intensive, it's so craft, it's very folksy. Um, there is technology involved but I can't just go out and buy a scale model of the, you know, live buildings. You just can't do it. It's just not there. And even if you could, it would be the wrong size for the client wants because they want something different. So everything you do is hand built. Everything you do is started from scratch. So in doing that, it's labor intensive, it's materials intensive, and you can't absolutely guarantee you're going to make a 13, 15, 20% margin. Therefore, it was kind of moved the way the company had started to drift away from that bespoke universe, you know, unique selling point, the USP, and had gone a little bit more into unit construction, into larger construction areas that you could guarantee margins in better. I just hired two people to extend the size of the team um, at the request of the directorship. They wanted this to be a bigger thing. We're going to get loads of work in. It's going to be great. Let's do this. We're going to get loads of investment. We're going to have work coming out of our arsehole. It's going to be fantastic. I extended the team, and then suddenly our workflow stopped because the company had moved its direction from being the bespoke, very, very unique stuff. And we'd gone into a more shop fitting. That was the work that was coming in. So suddenly my department was then effectively redundant. So I started trying to generate business myself. I started reaching out to architectural clients. I started reaching out to, you know, marketing and that I was trying to, you know, okay, look, let's get some work in. I've got guys sitting here or they've been lent out to other departments to augment them. Um, I need to bring work in. I wasn't really getting a great deal of support from the higher ups because the work that we were doing wasn't exactly that. We weren 't bringing in millions and millions of pounds. What we were bringing in were a couple of thousand pounds to twenty thousand pounds jobs that would not be possible for other companies wouldn't exactly satisfy our friends down in the in the city of London, but they would provide the company with that unique selling point. I wasn't able to bring in the work. Um, my team were basically lent out to the departments because they were incredibly talented, incredibly skillful people, and they were also incredibly versatile. So they were like the commandos. They were just sent off to work in joinery or solid surfacing or in electronics or wherever because they could turn their hand to pretty much anything. Model making crossed an awful lot of disciplines. So I'm sat there in this kind of ghost of a department with no work coming in I'm trying to generate work i'm trying i'm sending out signals saying look help me here i want to this isn't working for me it's not working for the company i want to do something to make this better i can fix it but i i need help i need support i'd reached out to my friend or one of the directors who i had a really good relationship with um certainly up to a point and he was very much involved with the sales and the marketing of the company. And I said, look, I'm, I'm freaking out here. You know, this is not good. I'm worried. I've just hired, you know, people at, at your request. And now they're off doing other stuff. And they're asking me, I thought we were going to be model makers. I thought, you, I thought there was going to be loads of model making work. And now I'm over here sanding or I'm over here painting boxes or I'm over here, you know, screwing things together that I have nothing to do with. And so they were unhappy. They were sending that to me and I had nowhere to go with it. So I reached out to this director and said, look, I need some help here. I need your guidance or your support or something. Just give me something and I will fucking work it. His response back to me basically boiled down to, look, I don't want to have to close you down, but you need to make money and you're not making money. And I'm thinking, fucking marvelous. I asked for help and you've given me an ultimatum. Okay, put it on my back keep pushing forward, double down, press harder, think harder, work harder as much as I can. A couple more weeks went by, still no real change. So I then reached out to my line manager and sat down with him. And I said, look, I'm I'm, I'm at wit's end here. I don't know what I can do more that's going to help this situation. But I'm sat here with a dead department. I'm not seeing any lifeline here i'm just basically this kind of you know recruitment agency that's hiring out my staff to other departments to take over you know and i'm not seeing them come back they're fed up they're moaning at me they want to come back and do the jobs that they feel they were fucking hired for and i haven't got anything for them my line manager basically said look you know that this is not going to change he said this is the company we are the bottom line is if you put this before the managing director he's just going to turn around and say piss or get off the pot right, okay, I'll go back and see if I can. So I came up you know, and I went back and I just carried on and I carried on. And by this point, I wasn't sleeping well. By this point, the only thing I would ever talk to my wife about was work and frustration and everything that came out of my mouth was just piss and vinegar and frustration and annoyance. Um, My health was deteriorating. Um, One day I went into work and an inquiry came through. And it was sent through by the manager of another department that was doing very well for itself and it was just the usual one of the things that you get from when you work in museums and visitor center model making or you know attractions is you'll get people who will come up with these amazing ideas and you think you know what if if we only had more dimensions to play with than the four that are available to us and one of which you're wasting if only that we could bend reality to make this thing real, it would be fucking incredible. But unfortunately, it can't be done with what we have at our disposal and certainly the amount of money that you want to spend on it. We used to get in- inquiries like that all the time. And you'd honor them. You, would, you, know, you wouldn't just kind of kick them into touch. You would, you would give them, you would validate them. And you'd say, look, okay, love, love to you know, talk about this with you, but we're going to need to bring this into you know, this dimension of reality. So this, in- this inquiry came through and I read it. And something in my brain just snapped. There was something that I just read and I thought, I can't do this. And I must have sat staring at the computer screen at the same drawing for a few hours. And I caught myself because I needed to go to the bathroom. And I got up, went to the bathroom, went back to my office and thought, I don't want to be here. I'm just going to go and take a breath. I'm just going to go and take a you know, just step out. I'm just going to clear my head. I found a storeroom and I went into the storeroom and I sat down and just gazing out of a window and nothing happened. I just couldn't think I couldn't pull my brain out of it. I went home. Nobody really noticed I'd gone. Um, it was only then. And I, you know, took a while for me to process this and talk with my wife about it, but only then did I realize I've popped. I got to the point whereby I simply could not function because I would, I'd run so hard, so fast, tried everything. Later on, I found this wonderful book um, called Depression, Curse of the Strong, and it explained, and this was where I learned how I burnt out. This, this, this told me my fucking story. I read it, and it told me about this quite macabre um, experiment that used to be done in psychology and psychiatry um, courses in universities. And what they would do is they would take an animal cage, like a rat's cage, and it would have a steel mesh on the floor. And that mesh was connected to a power supply. And between the mesh and the power supply, there'd be a switch or a button that was on the side of the cage. And what would happen is there'd be a timer, so every five seconds, there would be a pulse of energy that went in and it would give a shock, not, not so it would kill or disable, but certainly make the, the inhabitants of this cage uncomfortable. And so they drop in a lab rat and every five seconds, he'd get a belt. And of course, he's running around and he's running around and he's freaking out and he's freaking out and he's looking for the exit and he's, oh, and then he'll accidentally or, you know, by chance hit the button and then he won't get a zap for another 10 seconds and he'll delay and he'll run around and he'll run around and suddenly After a while, he learns, okay, if I keep hitting this button at this point, I'm not going to get zapped. So the the rat adapts. The rat, you know, changes its behavior. It modifies its behavior as a means of self-preservation. The next stage of the experiment is they'll disconnect the button. So now the rat's getting zapped every five seconds, and the button doesn't work. So what happens is they set the thing going again. The rat now starts pounding the button. Doesn't work. So he starts pounding it more, doesn't work. Pound, 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 doesn't work. So he then starts running around, running around, trying to find the exit again, until in the end, it will just retreat and just sit in a corner and just get zapped and zapped and zapped and zapped. The final stage of the experiment is they'll, they'll switch off the power, they'll open the cage and you'd expect the rat to fly out and get to freedom. And it doesn't, it just sits there. And because, it, because what's happened is it has learned that no matter what it does, it's fucked anyway. It can't control its environment anymore. It can't do anything. That feeds into the burnout. And for me, for my experience, when I was, you know, going into this cycle and was going into this decline, the more I tried, the more I realised it doesn't matter what I do, it's not working. So I try harder, and it wasn't working. I'd try harder and harder and harder until, in the end, my limbic system just said, eh, "Mate, I haven't got any more resource for you, pal," and I shut down, and I was out of work. Well, I was out of action for at least four months and it took a long road to recovery to get me back in to the stage where I could actually function again so that was my first burnout or that's correction that was my second burnout but it's probably the less messy of the two
0: okay now mate thank you for sharing that I apologise. I'm yawning my fucking head off. If anyone's watching this, it's, it's not because I wasn't into your story. I was very much listening, but I've been up since half three, so I thought I better, I better make some, some context to that. Otherwise, everyone just thinks I'm being really rude. <laughs>
1: Let's just peel back the curtain for a second to the listeners of the watchers out there, okay? He absolutely assured me before, because I did say I don't think Michael Parkinson would in any way whatsoever treat his guest like this. And James says, oh, no, mate, I've got my game face. It'd be absolutely pucker. It'll be sorted. Don't worry. It'll be totally professional all the way through. And I'm within about 15 minutes, and that he looks like he wants a nap. So, yeah. Well, curtain lying. back, game face on, let's go. I well,
0: know you're laughing. I said I was going to be professional. I've never said that in my life. <laughs> Oh fucking stop I can't stop I'm, I feel alright But as I'm sitting here I've just got off Another podcast as well And I'm sitting here And I just can't stop yawning
1: This is why you haven't Won any awards yet You know that don't you yeah. This is why You know
0: I think about When the goodness Put records For most yawns In a podcast <laughs> um, Mate That story Was Kind of harrowing But kind of also Relatable as well Like you're kind of Listening to it And you're like Oh my god This is this is horrible. But then I reckon there was many people like me that, you know, I'm listening to it and I'm like, God, that's horrible. I'd hate to go through. That. And I'm like, hang on a minute. That makes yeah. sense. That relates. That relates. That relates. I think a lot of people would, would hear, listen to that story and, and really relate to it. And, and oh, I, th- I think so.
1: Yeah. And I think as well, I mean, one of the things that I'm finding with the work that I'm doing with the various services around our authority is the fact that, since lockdown, since we've come out of the, the just the weird reality-bending craziness of COVID, we've now come back into a different workplace. Everything's the same but different. You know, we're either doing things in a different way, or we're doing things with fewer staff, or we're delivering services in a slightly different thing. I mean, I, I now work this, you know, while this looks like my playroom, this is also my office. It's where I kind of do all my, you know, all my safety dude stuff. Um, but it's also where I do all my building little fucking trains of things we kind of work now in a different way we've now got new challenges we've now got as well as society i think there's a lessening of patience there's a lessening of empathy i think there's a lessening of tolerance because we've all been locked away for so long that now people have come out i think we're trying to get used to being a society again and with our council being public facing serving you know this wonderful glorious district of yorkshire we're kind of having to deal with that. We're facing that. And, what about, and a lot of our staff are actually saying they're finding it very tough. They're finding it very stressful because they don't know what they're going to face when they go into work that day. You know, that they, they, they've signed up to be swimming pool um, staff, you know, and you think, well, how cool is that working in a leisure centre? They shouldn't be in the position whereby they're having to be, you know, contacting the police because they're having public disturbances because people are just running out of control, you know, or library staff and that, you know, dealing with verbal abuse. So people just acting stranger than they ever did. And I think we need to be mindful of this when we're moving forward because of the fact that work has changed. No matter how much we'd like to think that we've got it still the way it used to be, it will never be the fucking same again. Certainly not for the mid to long, you know, to the short to midterm. And we need to recognise the fact that that stress is being put onto our staff at all levels, Um, and burnout could be a thing because we're going to try and cover things. We are resource poor. We are talent rich sometimes, but there just maybe isn't enough talent, you know, talented people there. We are covering things. We are working outside of our scope, you know, and we we do tend to kind of cover those grey areas and those gaps where resources might not go, but we'll fill them in because we're conscientious people or we know that our jobs can't be done properly without somebody at least doing it. So I think, it, you know, and I think that again, as you say, I think that goes across the board. I think that will affect all work.
0: Yeah. And it kind of comes back as well, like that example you, use, uh, to, what you to what you said earlier in that a lot of our response to this as how we improve our mental health crisis, well, for, throughout the world, really, um, is is lacking impact. It's, it's tokenism. A lot of it. Do you know what? I kind of look at it and I'm like, oh, man, we're making all the same mistakes again. Like, you know, can not look at the safety profession. But just, and and the health and safety profession to put it together, even though stress technically is included in the health bracket and welfare and, and so on. And do you not look at that and go, now we don't want to make those mistakes. Do you know what I mean? We, we want to we want to issue some some improvements that are impactful. We want to issue some some influences in the workplace that deliver impact on on this risk that we're trying to manage, not just let's have a, a world stress mental health day let's have some here read this you know like mental health first aid for me is a really good example and we've got another lady coming on in a couple of months to talk about this um kind of get really in depth on on that side of things but but ultimately i think it's a really good example of like or we're just putting a plaster over a bullet wound. Like, you know, you can have like pizza Fridays and beanbags and a fucking slide in your head office. But if the managers a fucking bully, walking around being an absolute wanker, and the deadlines to complete stuff are are nearly impossible, and people are short staffed, and the attitude, the way that people talk to each other, is constantly aggressive. You're constantly having to think about covering your ass or something like that. It'll be uber stress, and you're going to run into a brick wall at some point. But it's okay because we have pizza fridays and and it's just like i look at it and i'm just like yet again we're just not managing the risk we're just throwing shit at the wall and none of it's sticking
1: well think about it this way and that you know we have the working at height regulations we'll train people on working at height okay and we do that to prevent them from falling off shit Okay. Imagine a company saying, "Okay, look, we're not going to put safety rails here, but we've got our own company ambulance. Okay, that's got a fucking direct line to the hospital, so that when you smash your fucking ass into the concrete below, we will come along. We've got the most brilliant blood sponges. Okay, we can mop up blood no problem. So we can take care of slip strips and falls, and we will get to the we will get you to the hospital in no fucking time." Oh shit! Okay, it's kind of what we're doing with mental health. We're saying, okay, look, we're not going to do shit all to modify or to address, okay, what are the drivers? Now, I will put a caveat, okay? I have, I have, I have a diagnosed condition called dysthymia, okay? It's now known as low mood syndrome, but dysthymia just sounds more impressive. <laughs> what that basically means is if you can imagine a person's emotional range being on zero is beyond suicide to 10 is they're peeling the tits off, utter euphoria, happy as fuck, you know, we all know the type and that they annoy the shit out of us. They're, they're not the people you want to deal with on a Monday morning. Most people will operate in the 4.5, 5.5 middle of the road. I tend to live in the, in the threes. Okay. I'm genuine. I, it takes me a lot of energy. Okay. I've got what I call an emotional debit card. Okay. I think Luke Coggan, who was on a couple of uh, weeks ago, actually described it as being, it's like having that bucket with a hole in the bottom and you're filling it up from the top. Yeah. For me, I look at it as an emotional debit card. Okay. I'm granted at the beginning of my working week only so much emotional resilience. Okay. To deal with hassle, stress, out of the box thinking, dickheads, weirdness, et cetera, et cetera. I can use on, I can, you know, dip into that credit card or debit card as much as I like. Okay. But I need to recharge it. I need to pay my, back my debts. If I go into an overdraft, I pay for it later. Okay. With, what we're doing in work i think we are just in this position whereby we're using these debit cards so much we're we're stretching people we're pushing people we're rely and then we're saying oh well we've got these services that you can use contact them it's like no what we need to be doing is saying look how do we get this work in such a way that it's not taxing people that it's not draining their resource, you know their reserves it's not giving them reason to go home and cry or drink yeah. you know or take it out on the kids or take it out on the wife or the dog or the cat you know, or worse, withdraw, and then kind of go into themselves. And then before you know it, they're actually self-harming or they're, you know, they're on a fucking ledge. You know, we need to be putting these things in place that says, look, we shouldn't be taxing. It's one thing going home from work tired. Okay. That's just, that can be the byproduct of work. You can be mentally tired. You can be physically tired. But if you're so emotionally tired, you know, that you don't have anything of yourself, Depression is something that takes away the thing that makes you, you, it takes away your vitality. It takes away your, you know, you you could literally just, you just become an entity. Okay. It's the loneliest place in the universe when you're depressed, because you don't even have yourself. If we are driving people into that position through the work that we do, something is fucking wrong. And I don't see really a difference between that and somebody getting their arm cut off or, somebody you know losing their hearing or you know white finger or whatever it is because we're damaging people through doing this and we need to get in front of it the frustrating thing for me is the fact that all of the time i see all of these health and you know these mental health awareness things and all these kind of campaigns that we get in the workplace i've never once ever seen anybody say we've actually already got a pretty good answer for this you know what we do in health and safety, our Bible is, a, you know, certainly in the UK is the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974, one of the best pieces of fucking legislation ever written because it's just so fucking versatile. It fits. It's brilliant. We can build off it. It's wonderful. The HSE also did something a while ago called the management standards. Yep. Now when I, returned to, well, when I returned to the company that I burnt out in, um, I did so on one condition. And I said, this can't happen to anybody else. This must not happen to anybody else that I work with. Okay, if you're prepared to change, I'll I'll help you do it. I'll put the you know I'll put my health hundred percent into it because kind of how I work. But you've got to change and said so, okay, fine, yeah, let's make it. And I just then became the, the health and safety you know well being guy. Looking back, was it tokenism? Probably. Um, but in the in the workshop and in the workspace, I was there. I found these this wonderful thing called the health and safety management standards. Okay. I've got to be honest with you. They're fucking excellent. Yeah. They are really, yes. really good. Yes. Because what they do—not just for well-being—but I'll tell you what—I'll defy anybody to say that this was not this would not make your business work better anyway. Yeah. You know, you look at what it actually does. It looks at what are the demands you're putting on your staff. You know what control do your staff have? How much ability do they have to manage and operate within their realms? You know what sort of support are we giving them? Are we giving them the right like, training, the skills? The you know the are we giving them the equipment to deliver? Are we giving them that actual time to actually do this rather than saying you've got fifteen jobs to do in the space of three? Mm-hmm. You know we're looking at the role. And again, it comes back to what, what were we expecting people to do? I mean, what I was doing in my old model-making sphere, I was doing project management, I was doing marketing, I was doing a bit of everything, because if I saw a need, I'd just go and try and fucking fix it. Mm. My role was really just build fucking plastic models for clients, but I was left in this kind of strange vacuum to just fill that space with what I thought was necessary. Um, you know, how are we managing change? Well, fuck, we've just come out of a world pandemic of, oh, correction we're still in a fucking world pandemic folks spoiler alert it hasn't gone away how are we how are we adapting to that we're still working in the remote area i mean I, i was speaking to you just now before james wasn't i about i delivered two sessions of training this week one of which was in person which is my natural habitat and i could wave my arms around and make jokes and you know engage with people and i could see their cues and i could see their faces and whether they're making notes and what have you the second one was an identical course that i did online remotely And I didn't have any of those cues. I didn't have any of those resources available for me to say, how well am I doing? I'm looking at my laptop screen with my slides on there. I can't hear anybody. I can't see anybody. I'm just in this funny little room full of trains yapping about stuff I think is interesting. And at the end, was that any good guys? Yeah, yeah, that was great. Well, phew, fucking hell. But that's changed. That's a different way of working. Are we providing people with the skills and the support that they need for that? And finally, in that, what the relationships as well? Do we actually care about the people that we're working with? You know, do we actually know their needs? Do we really know what their drivers are? I understand that there's a line that says work and life need to be kept separate. Okay, work-life balance and all that. I get that. But when I came into the professional model-making sphere, okay, all of the skills that I brought largely came from my hobby. I brought what I used to do for a living into my professional thing. If I'm doing, I mean, I'm now studying a, you know, an NCRQ level six, okay? I'm not doing that on company time. I'm doing that in my own time, <laughs> okay? I'm, fund, I'm funding that myself. The authority is more than happy for me to do that. They appreciate the fact that I'm spending my time at home doing this work, okay? Don't get me wrong. I don't begrudge them for a second. This is my, this is my future I'm investing in. But the authority is more than happy to, for me to then come in with those skills, and they will capitalize on that. But if I have something at home, say, you know, if I have a, you know, a difficulty in life, it's not, it's not good enough for the company to then turn around and say, well, that, that's none of our business. Well, it's your fucking business. When I go off and do a six, you know, a, a two year bloody degree course in night school, then you're fucking more than happy. You know, you're more than happy to you know agree with that because that's personal development. That's making your, that's making the organization better. I'm not saying this to be confrontational. I'm not saying this to be in any way kind of, you know, front loading it saying you don't care about us but what i am saying is a case of to just say what happens at home is none of our business now i don't think it can yeah you know, i don't think you can just kind of brush it under the carpet like that if people need support you you know you need them to be in a good place in order to provide that work
0: i agree <clears throat> totally I, I cannot stand this work-life balance bullshit I think for, there is no life balance. It, I get what they're trying to say, and I agree with the notion, I suppose. But it's yet again the narrative in which it's communicated out doesn't, doesn't make sense. It's, it's not work and life, it's life, and life includes work. It's, it's just your life, and, and your work is a massive proportion of your weekly life. Yeah. And if you have... Well, here's a prime example. If I was operating machinery right now, I'm tired as fuck because my daughter Mm -hmm. in the car at three o'clock in the morning and I didn't go back to sleep. So if I'm operating uh, heavy machinery, if I've got to drive a HGV for eight hours today, then trust me, my fucking life is impacting your work. Yeah. So as far as I can see it, and the way I try to explain it to a lot of clients is, if if you refuse to build a relationship with your employee that you don't know them and that they're not comfortable to come to you and say, I'm I'm knackered and I probably shouldn't be driving today because I didn't sleep at all last night, if you make it so they're not comfortable to say that, it is it's not, oh, that's his personal life and I've got no right to say it. It's not you being polite. It's not you being like respectful of their personal life. If you now have creating an unknown risk within your organization you got no idea now that that guy girl is out on the road and then knackered and and for, for me it's one and the same what's going on at work impacts home massively and well, much- let's, let's flip it
1: around okay you obviously you're now self-employed okay you have risk fluent limited quick plug okay you're you're doing project militiam quick plug you see i should be getting fucking money for this may i tell you
0: Mate, I don't even get (laughs) fucking.
1: Okay, so you're, you can you tell me hand on heart, okay, that you'll be sitting sitting down watching TV tonight, okay, with your family, and you're not going to think, oh shit, I should have done that, or I should have emailed that, or I need to do that tomorrow, okay? Can you tell me hand on heart, you're not going to do that, okay? So if we have workplaces that say, I'm sorry, what goes on at home is none of our fucking business, Mm. okay, then really speaking, what goes on in work shouldn't be any of our fucking business when we're at home, yeah. Workplaces don't really appreciate that because the case. Well, actually, yeah. Oh, it's good. Job you sent me that email last night. Otherwise, I would have forgot. Yeah. You know. And uh, I mean, we love that anecdote. I think it, I can't remember—is it Kia or Hyundai or one of the companies out in far eastern that's actually done a ban where it's a case of if you send an email outside of you know business hours, it's seen as a disciplinary action because you just don't do it. You shut it down. It's we. You know, we do not operate outside of these parameters. That's great, but we need to accept that that can't always be the case. So we need to accept that. While our home, you know, while our work affects our home lives, our home lives also affect our work. You know, we can't benefit from one while smiting the other.
0: Yeah. And and for me, I think there's something else in that, in that I understand why you're doing that. No emails out of hours, really bad. You know, we care about you. I understand the notion. I also think that is more tokenism than actual impactful risk management, if I'm brutally honest, in that if you're, let's say, let's say you're saying this to a team of like salespeople, right? And they kind of don't really have set hours because they're based from home. They can just do what they do. Right now meeting a client doing a sale is probably restricted to working hours because you've got to arrange a meeting or whatever. Right. But emails, for example, it actually might be better for say a parent as a prime example, a working parent, excuse me, a working parent to not work nine to five and they babysit a parent doesn't babysit and care for their child be with their child or have a three to four hour break in the middle of the day or, or whatever right so therefore they, they need to catch up on that email and their own body clock their own lifestyle their own mental health is different from somebody else's and and I just think those blanket approaches just don't fucking work and I remember I, you come up to the the management standards like I remember reading that for the first time years and years ago and playing around with it and, and being like, fuck me, this is actually really good. And a lot of that, if you did a lot of management standard, you've pretty much done a lot of like human organisational performance, human factors, behavioural stuff. You've pretty much done a lot of that already just by managing that. So, but anyway, to come back to my point, it's a really good piece of work. I'm, I'm, when I was at a previous employer, HR completely out of nowhere, we're like, we're going to do a stress survey. And they actually said, We're doing a stress survey. And I was like, Hey, as, as safety, it might be really good for you to have a conversation with me. I'm here. Um, you know, this is part of my job as well. Um, and we, oh, yeah, sorry, we should have. Okay, cool. How about the HC? You know, it's cheaper. The management standard is good. They can do this survey. Um, you know, and I've heard really good stuff about it. Yeah, okay, cool. We'll do it. And we got some pretty stark responses. And the shit we were coming up with off the back of it was not dealing with the risk. And one of them was that was right. We're not going to, we're going to make a blanket ban for zoom calls at lunchtime because we all need to respect the lunch break. And I said, look, I'm telling you fucking now, if you, if you do that, you're just adding an hour onto my day because that call is going to move from 12 to five. And the call the, the other call is going to move from, Six from, from wherever to seven. If, and then they were like, oh, what we can do is not email out of hours. Okay, fine. But the current managing director's workload, he's going to be doing nothing but emails in the day. Where's all the rest of the work going? It'll come out of his personal time. And I said, it's just going to be ineffective. It's going to be a complete waste of time. It doesn't work. It might work for us. It may be at um, a different level in the organization but other levels it didn't work for and it will never work for because what is the actual problem? Not the emails. It's not the meetings. It's what you expect from your employees to be done within a day. So deal with the workload because that's the issue. That's the fucking issue. These blanket rules will not work because you haven't dealt with the thing that's driving the problem that you're trying to fix. So it's just it all comes back to the same stuff that we do in safety. It's just a fucking plaster over a Grand Canyon of a fucking bullet wound. Yeah. You know, it's like being shot and someone coming over with a pack of fucking plasters, like in those little pull-out ones. It's just be like, "All right, mate, got you." And it's just it's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating um and and then what that means is that essentially essentially what the whole thing is lacking is is empathy. it's it's got a distinct lack of understanding what each individual journey is. and if I'm brutally honest again, I think most of that is because that's just too fucking hard work, right to understand every single employee that's just too hard, particularly big big organizations. Um, I think,
1: I think there's a societal aspect to it as well, though, James, I think we, you know, where we are in society, if you think of the way that mental health and mental illness are represented, okay, and I'm, I'm, I'll be honest here, okay, I'm speculating with some of this, but most of the time, whenever you see a film or a, or a drama or a soap opera or some of like that, and you have a person who, you know, and I'll, I'll speak about depression, because that's my, you know, chosen affliction, um, Chosen, well, yeah. It, it Well, it's the affliction that chose me, anyway. So it, it's—I don't suffer from it. I refuse to suffer from it. I deal with it. Some days I deal with it well. Sometimes I don't deal with it very well at all. But I don't suffer from it.
0: Though, like you're um, and you're like, I'm gonna go for that one. Yeah, that one. Yeah.
1: yeah. Depression. Yeah, that makes me moody and interesting. Yes. Okay. I mean, there were Kurt Cobain and Lane Steady, Yeah. So depression is depression is my little circle of interest because i've got it whether i like it or not yeah whenever you see somebody in a character in a movie or in a drama or in some kind of you know documentary or docurama thing and they have depression okay you can guarantee they're going to be a plot it's going to be a plot twist isn't it because they're going to either get worse or they're going to go off on one or they're going to have everything and what we actually need to be doing is maybe saying actually you know what there's people who are dealing with depression around us all the time okay whether we like it or not okay they're out there the mm-hmm. moment i say that i have depression to a person or i, I suffer from depression okay you can see the way that they, they, their face changes more often than not they'll oh, oh okay okay it's like well until i told you that i had depression you didn't realize you, you were just treating me like a, a normal straightforward person now i've said depression all of a sudden you i can see that you kind of recall you think okay what can i say what can't i say you can say fucking anything mate okay I'm I'm dealing with this. I'm a, I'm a big boy. Okay. It's okay to not be okay. You know, we walk among you people. Okay. Us wonky brain people, we walk among you. We're out there. All right. One in four people in their life is going to have a mental illness or a psychological issue. Okay. Like it or not. All right. A quarter of the population, we need to normalize it. Okay. We need to not be afraid of people who are, you know, dealing with you know, mental illness or psychological conditions. Okay. We need to actually have those conversations. A good point to that. My manager a couple of uh, months ago actually emailed me because he was being again, from the higher ups. Um, he was basically being told, you need to reach out to your staff and you need to make sure and find out what they need and find out what they it and do this and let them know this and let them know that. And he just goes, Al, what do you need from me? And I, you know, I know that I've been very, very frank with my manager on that. And he, he completely understands where I'm coming from. He goes, Al, from a point of view of somebody, you know, dealing with mental illness, what do you, you know, what do you need from me? And I said, for you to listen to me when I need you to listen. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. I just need you to accept the fact that I might not be completely right in the head. Sometimes I'll try and give you a warning. If I can see it coming, I will have that conversation with you. And I'll say, look, get ready, choppy waters. Okay. Let's, let's put something in place. So I'm not, you know, exposing anybody to, you know, risk because obviously, you know, people rely on my advice. They rely on my judgment. They rely on my, you know, perception of what's going on around. What you don't need is some somebody in full-blown Eeyore mode. But, okay, in fact, actually, great little point just as an aside, all right? When I say about how people should be around folk with mental illness or, you know, with depression, et cetera, what I will always point them to, okay, watch Winnie the Pooh, all right? Great, you know, good opportunity for you there because I know you like a good children's movie, James. Watch Winnie the Pooh, all right? See how Pooh and Tigger and Piglet and Roo all act around Eeyore, okay? Eeyore is chronically depressed, okay? He doesn't know why he's sad. It's his birthday, okay? He's just sad. They treat him like a normal, bloody person. They don't exclude him. They don't talk around him. They don't say, oh, should we, you know, we're going to have a party. Should we invite Eeyore? No, he's going to piss all over everything. He's going to be miserable. No, Eeyore's just part of the gang, okay? He is who he is okay so if anybody wants to know how to be around somebody who deals with mental illness watch winnie the fucking poop all wow. right he will teach you you will learn a lot eeyore is my spirit animal
0: wow i've never the second you said it i was like oh yeah but like i've never ever put that those yeah. together. yeah he is totally depressed 100% he but I think, I think as well, Alex. I think I spoke about this with Asher, and she came on the podcast. And, and and again, similarly to yourself, really openly and honestly, talked about her story. There is this perception that you're, if you say, I'm, um, I, you know, I, I live with depression, um, they think you're going to be like Eo all the time. Mm. I love you. like you say and just piss on the party and just be, don't invite alex because he just bum everyone out like no it's like i really liked when we also interviewed a different person in the mental health space called robert Manolson, and he describes it as a continuum so it's a flow ups and downs and ups and downs and you have lines to your point like very similar to your debit card right you go over this line at the top, you're in ecstasy, you know, it's um it's a really happy place where uh, you know for me it's like this is really cheesy. But for me, I have a couple of happy places. One when my daughter voluntarily gives me a cuddle, like just mm-hmm. runs over it and I just I could just sit there for a lifetime. And secondly, sitting on my own or with my family watching Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like that's my fucking happy place, right? So my my flow is like right up there. And then some days I'm just, I'm just down. And I'm, I'm, you know, I might not be depressed. I'm just having a low fucking day. And then sometimes those lines can go into below the lines and become, go into like depression or anxiety or any, any kind of mental health condition. Right. So you have this continuum. The problem is, is when you are below a line more often than not, and when you're above a line more often than not, That's when we need to start thinking, okay, we've got to to take some professional help here, right? Mm. But ultimately, I think the the problem that exacerbates the problem is that we don't know how to deal with these people. Exactly like you were saying, these people that are weird and they've got mental health issues, we think they're just going to be in a corner crying 24-7, you know, Mm. and you say anything to them, they're going to jump out the window. Now, there may be days like that, you know, there really might be days like that where, nothing you can say will help the person, but no, you, of course just, not. you just have to be there. Right. Um, but they're not like that 24 seven, you know, Maybe some people have it really bad and they are kind of like or a bit, but the 90% of people that deal with, that deal with this on a day to day basis on a day to day basis, you wouldn't fucking know. So just, just treat them like normal people. But I think having a little bit of empathy, but also kind of like, getting curious about the person. I think that's something we've really missed in yeah. in the workplace is building these relationships. To my earlier point. Hi, Alex. Nice to meet you. Welcome to the team. Tell me about yourself. What do you yeah. do? What do you like to do? And then the next time we speak, you know, leaders coming around, walking around going, let me, let me get to know you, Alex. You know, partner. Do you have a partner? Yeah, I have a partner. Yeah, cool. Yeah. How are you doing? The more you get to know this person, the more you can pick up, on little cues, yep. I pick up when my wife's having a low day, one hundred percent, and I, she doesn't even need to say anything. I'm just like, yeah, it's there. Yep, and and we don't equip our managers to do that. We don't give them the tools, the resources, the knowledge to do that. I think we can send them on stress awareness, and, and I just. I just don't think that stuff delivers impact. We, what we should be doing, yes, teaching them the little signals and the little signs of somebody having a particular day, 100%. And most stress course yeah. does that. But we need to teach them to build relationships with us. Rem-
1: yeah, that's exactly it. And I think when you've got those relationships, when you've got that, I mean, it, just to kind of go back to your previous point, James, and I think to put a, you know, a slightly different spin on it, just imagine, okay, if you've got, I don't know, you've got a headache. Okay, you go into work and you've got a headache, okay? And then you tell people that you've got a headache. And then, number one, they all start acting a bit weird around you. Oh, he's got a fucking headache. I don't get a fucking headache. He might start acting all fucking weird. He might be reaching for the fucking Eurofence soon. And then after a while, people stop talking to you because they don't know how to deal with the guy with the headache. So just imagine you're the guy with the headache, okay? You're already feeling a bit shitty, okay? And now nobody's fucking talking to you or they're talking around you or they're they're kind of, you know, say, oh, we... we do this well i don't know he's got a fucking headache and is he gonna fucking is he gonna be go around blagging paracetamol off everybody and that you know it's, just imagine how that is for the person okay so how does that even help them okay you're you're coming into work and it was it was a weird thing for me when i returned to work because i you know in the time between me going off sick and me coming back and it, it, it was unrelated to the illness okay but that's when i shaved my head partly because i was developing a little flesh yarmulke and that and I, I refused to be the guy with the cat's ass on his head so as a case right it all fucking comes off so i walked into the workshop okay and the staff turned around and he looked at me and i'm just like yes i have shaved my head it came free with the lobotomy <laughs> oh okay uh uh, uh yeah and uh, you could see that they weren't sure how to deal with me number one i looked completely different but number two oh, well, this is a guy that completely blew a fuse and he's all a bit weird now. And he's kind of, you know, he's been to some dark places. And it's a case of, look, I'm still me. I might be a bit more fucking miserable on the outside than I appear, but I'm still me. alright I'm, I'm back. I'm slowly getting back into it. Talk to me. And we did talk and we had conversations and I was perfectly open about it. And I would, you know, and I would say, look, there's going to be some days, guys, when I'm just going to be fucking not in it at all. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll just recount one particular story um, because I don't want it to make it sound like, It's what we're dealing with is scary, okay. But I think there was some good that came from it. I was during it was during my phase return. I was still getting my feet underneath me. I was still getting into the flow. Some days I would wake up and I go, yeah, I think I can do this. Go into work, get on the bus, or go down, you know, what have you. And the other days when it was a case of I just I would rather just lie in my own fucking excrement than face getting out of bed. Okay, you just get into that black mentality Mm -hmm. of just I just don't want to be. I don't want to die. I just don't want to live. Yeah. Certainly not like that. Okay. So this particular day I'd been off for a couple of days and I thought, no, I need to get back in. I need to show that I'm committed. I need to show that I'm doing this, etc., etc. et cetera. Et cetera. They're, they're going out of the way for me. I'm all building all this shit up in my head. And I went in, I went in and as I'm getting near on the bus, I'm, my mood is just cratering. I'm just going into this. No, it's I'm borderline full blown panic attack. I'm just like, Oh Jesus, you know, I went into the went into the production office, and one of my colleagues had had worked with him the whole time I was at this company in twelve years, and he's like, "You're right," and I'm just like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, yeah." And he said, and he started asking, and bless him, he was taking what I was giving him, and he was trying to solve what I was saying because I wasn't really making a great the other sentence i was seeing everything around me was wrong everything around me was bullshit everything around me was fucking going oh and he's trying to with all the best intentions in the world with all the best will in the world and loving to bits he's still a friend um you know great guy but he's trying to solve and he's trying to fix my head while i'm coming out with this complete fucking nonsensical miserable gibberish the way I can describe how my head was at the time, okay, I don't know whether anybody's ever experienced a panic attack, they can all come in different flavors, but the type that I was having on this particular day was if you can imagine, okay, being your head, okay, being a room, and on every surface of the room, whether it be the walls, the floor, the ceiling, the door, the fucking windows, the fucking everything, are lots and lots of little TV screens, okay? And on each of these TV screens, okay, you've got memories, you've got fears, you've got Fucking things going on around you you've got fucking school life you've got things that you fucking said should have said back in 2009 you've got relationships with people everything you've ever had in your life both real and also distorted because of the illness that you're dealing with and they're all playing and some of them are in good reception and others are a bit grady and a bit kind of fucking white noisy but they're all playing full volume and you've got one remote control And you're trying to, as soon as you turn one off, another one, another three come on. And then on the outside of this room, somebody's yelling in, what are you watching? Are you all right? Oh, don't watch that. That's okay. Yeah, but that that one there's silly. And you're trying to control this absolute cacophony, white noise, thoughts, bullshit, You know, crashing around inside your head. And somebody with all the will in the world, bless them, was trying to help me switch off those little TVs. And it's like, I blew up and just ran the fuck away. All this is to say, the best intentions sometimes can lead to, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's not to put people off because the road out of hell is also paved with good intentions. Mm. What really needed to happen from that, I at least then had the opportunity to sit down with them and say, okay, look, this is why, this is what didn't work. I'm sorry I kind of blew up like that. I'm so You weren't prepared for that. I'm sorry I blew up at you like that. I I didn't mean to. It was nothing personal. I I was more lucid the next time I saw him a few days later. I said, look, this is where I'm at. And I got to explain it. And I got to actually say to him, look, there was nothing you could have done that day. All right. Maybe you could have given me a cuddle. All right. That might have been the only thing. I wouldn't put money on it. Okay. But there was nothing you could have done or said that day that was going to get me into that room and present and functioning and in a good place. Okay, but the good thing that's come out of this is the fact that you and I are now having this conversation. Whereas before we didn't, we didn't have that conversation, we didn't have that mechanism. Once we understood that, and once he understood, okay, if I see Alex is a bit like this, okay, I might just say, you know what, mate, don't worry about it today. Take a break, head off, do what you need to do. Okay, don't challenge it, don't anything. But we actually then had a good working relationship because of the fact that I knew that he understood better where I was coming from. And so I didn't feel like I had to live up to anything with him. It was a case that I could be open. I could be honest and I could be in that position to say, I can't do this today, man. And I know, and I would know that you go, it's okay. That's okay. We'll fix it. We'll work around it. You know, it won't, it's not the end of the fucking world. Like your head is telling you it is, mm. you know, and that to me is that's what we need more of. We need to have those open conversations to say, look, what, what, what what is it like? What are you, how are you feeling? And not be afraid of asking questions like that because the person that you're asking might not have the answer, but what it does show is that you actually give a shit. You know, you actually do care. You want to know. And it's a case of, look, if you, if you do find something out, if you, if you do learn something, like let me know. You know, because I want to make sure that we're on this journey with you together, you know, that we are on your side. We are here to try and help you because that person normally it's crying you know craving you know normality they are craving routine sometimes they are craving that stability of work their home life their home life might actually be a complete smoldering crater they might be relying on work you yeah. know to keep them sane to keep them on the rails yeah. so the more that work can do this and again it comes back to the you know work affects home as much as we don't like to convince it doesn't it fucking does and work benefits from that home affects work but work tries to think it doesn't and would like to think it can cut out. Sorry, you can't get one without the other. And I think this is where I think we need to have those conversations. Like you say, have the conversations before Mental Health Awareness Week rather than, you know, tokenistic bullshit ones in the middle or, oh, look, here's a lot more resources next time you feel like jumping off a cliff. Um, that, I think, is the way we need to move forward.
0: And there's another, there's another bit to that, I think, Alex, like for the manager to be enabled to say, it's okay, Alex, you need to take the day, take the day. The organization needs to build slack into that process that they're not massively reliant on every single individual person. Like, so for example, like if one person, I remember when I used to be a chef back in the day, right? If one person didn't turn up at the pub, fucking all shit hit the fan. Like we had no slack in the process. Like, if you're a manager in that position, it becomes very difficult at that point to have that understanding empathetic approach because you don't have the slack in the system to enable me as a manager to say, Alex, you take the day. So then you're forced into a situation where you've now got a person that is really struggling with normal normal day. And you're going to put them in a highly complex highly stressful situation because all work is stressful and all yep. work is mostly quite complicated complex and messy and full of loads of different personalities you're now going to throw them in that position or you're now going to have them operate he- heavy machinery or you're now going to have them build a fucking house or, or whatever and humans make mistakes when they're in their best selves let alone when they're in their low selves so you know, when, when I see all these stuff, like, don't get me wrong, we, we've kind of bashed <laughs> Mental Health Awareness Week and all of that stuff, right? It, it, to kind of, we spoke about this offline, but to kind of Crystal and Elisa's... Uh, oh, no, you spent it in the podcast, actually, didn't you? To mention, yeah. um, like, Crystal and Elisa's podcast, they did on, well, episode on Colin Nottingham's podcast, Interesting healthy mm-hmm. Podcast. There's a lot of podcasts. Um, yeah. podcast. They said, like to your point what they said there is like it's it's kind of nice to have it but i wish we didn't need it it's yep. exactly the same for this like you said earlier so use this week to have conversations about being proactive and having impact not let's throw some more resources at it let's do a fucking webinar awareness or whatever which is just just bullshit it's just nothing Let, let's what, what- because what is it we
1: say in in terms of safety okay we we've kind of come to the point certainly within the safety circles that you and i operate in that that zero harm is just not achievable okay we it, it's perfect you know what was it jem hill said in our workshop at pm and that you know sometimes as far as the special boat services are concerned better is better than best okay you can waste a lot of time trying to be perfect and you can actually completely miss the target anyway okay what do we try and do in safety? We try and build resilience. We try and provide capacity to fail, okay? So that when something doesn't work, it's not catastrophic, okay? The same could be, you know, it needs to be the same for mental health, yeah. okay? Having every single thing on that one person who's running it ragged, who's desperately trying to save the fucking world, and it's a characteristic of people when they're on burnout, because they will literally run around looking for things to put on their back to try and make things right and to try and fix to not have everything weighted on that one fucking person or have the system in place to say, okay, I can see what's going on here. Let's have a sit down. Let's have a conversation. Okay. Rather than wait for them to go, and oh, off to your with you. Yeah. Okay. We need to have that prescience. We need to have that look. Let's, World Mental Health Week is coming up. Let's get a load of people together and sit down and have a conversation with them and say, what would you like us to actually look at in World Mental Health Week? How about that? Rather than just kind of do this to you you know, and throw these things at you, what do you want us to do? How would you like to maybe kind of, you know, start the conversation moving forward? What, what do you want from us? Or how, how can we help you help us? All, all you know, all and that's question
0: that to me. Is what makes work hard for you? Yeah. like Particularly from a stress and, and mental health wellbeing point of view, like what makes work hard for you? How can we yeah. make that better? If you are somebody what makes work hard or what annoys you at work, they'll they'll fucking tell you trust me yep. uh, they'll turn around and say this happened that happened this happened and then you will sad you'll find out loads absolutely loads and then you can start focusing on stuff that's causing the stress but everything we're saying here right to your to your point is so closely related to like organizational resilience safety management risk management all of this is one like if, if you're going to do anything you know, as, a, as an organizational leader is start considering all of this stuff holistically and not individual standalone points like we can we'll, we'll manage cost right and a, there is a focused cost standalone bit that we need to do 100 and same with working at height and same with all of these individual risks right and even stress there is a there is a standalone focus bit that we will do with it but ultimately, when we're talking about the humans that connect all of these things together and all of the processes, the cost, the working at height, the stress, all into one, which delivers ultimately a successful uh, operation or a failed operation, which is ultimately what we're trying to do as an organization, then they're all holistic. They're all connected as one system. So taking a step back, asking yourself, where can could? It's not all about? It's not all about having a solely resilient company because I personally think if you're resilient, you're going to be terribly inefficient and you're probably going to go out, out of business because resilient is thorough, it's slow, is loads of slack and it's not efficient. So you need a bit of efficiency, but it's about balancing that is looking at like, okay, here we can be efficient, but here, you know, actually I'm not comfortable being efficient from a stress point of view, you know, with our people and their workload. We're going to be resilient we're going to build in slack right but with i don't know finance or something else we're going to be efficient right and it's just this silo mentality of each individual risk like we're we're a one problem nation i, I say sometimes that we can only focus on one problem right it's covid so we are focusing solely on covid 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 it's mental health awareness week right we're focusing on mental health mental health and what do we do we let's do a mental health this and a mental health that like or you could just or you could just zoom out and look at all of these contributing factors to people making errors to people who are stressed to people you know who are struggling through the day you know all of those things are connected when it comes to
1: I mean, look at that, you know, look at that plane crash that occurred was Austria a few years ago. And that, that pilot that literally steered an airplane into a mountain. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was flying that plane perfectly safely. That plane was perfectly functional. There was nothing wrong with that. The safety people must have been thrilled to bits with that airplane and the procedures that he was following right up to the point where he steered it into the ground. Okay. So that was a safe airplane being flown by a pilot who knew what he was doing. He was flying it perfectly competent he got it off the fucking ground and he got it to where he wanted it to go but his perception his emotions his stability were not there so how can you say that one didn't affect the other yeah you know we, we build in human you know we're starting and thank god we you know we are getting more and more switched on to this now but we are building in human factors you know to us to safety and It's not just about process. It's not just about following the fucking rules because the person that's following the rules is actually a sentient fucking being that does have a life, that does have influences, that does have challenges, that does have fucking problems. Mm -hmm. We're relying on these very complicated individuals to do these monotonous or relatively constrained tasks with the management system operating it being one of the most insanely complexly, mysteriously enigmatic Kind of computational devices that's in the known universe but we want that we expect that to be perfectly fine that, that's just going to do the job that we require of it and okay
0: ne- no it's just going to add to your point we expect it to never fail yeah never ever go have an error ever and if you do we're going to punish you
1: yeah. and guess what it fucking does <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> you know so alex we've been going for over an hour mate uh, is there, is there anything you want to plug? If not, do you want to leave us with a little last um, kind of closing point, or you can do both if you would like.
1: What I would recommend is anybody that's ever experienced depression, and I'll give you the I'll ping you the link for it once we're off, James, because I can't remember the exact author's name. Okay, which is a shame because it was a fucking brilliant book. I will recommend anybody that's ever dealing with or concerned about burnout, or anybody that's concerned about depression in the workplace. Okay. Have a look at a book. It's called Depression, The Curse of the Strong. Okay. I'll provide James with a link so we can put it in the show notes at the end. Um, the other thing I would always say, and I know it sounds like a cliche, and it's okay to be okay. All right. It's okay to be fucking struggling. It's okay. If it's a sign of weakness to reach out for help, why is it so fucking hard? All right. Especially us lads. All right. Because we're not very good at this. Use your emotions. You know, we're giving our emotions for a reason. Stop bottling them up okay it's okay to not be okay what's the point in being given all these fucking emotions if you're not supposed to use them all right blokes have two emotions happy and cry and you're only allowed to cry at football matches bullshit all right it's fine and finally talk i know that sounds really trite and really simple but start having good it's like with what we're saying in safety okay start having quality conversations okay proper conversations maybe not in the meeting room maybe do it in a coffee shop OK, have a conversation with your staff, have a conversation with your colleagues in that doesn't have to be a formal one. It's just a case of how are we doing, you know, anything, you know, just have that conversation. If somebody, you know, is struggling, do reach out. You might not be able to help them, but the fact that you're reaching out makes the fucking world of difference to them. And they will remember that forever. That, that's what I would basically say.
0: Wow. Well done, mate. That was... How about that? Yeah mic drop if you could drop (laughs) them so we can't drop it but uh maybe don't drop that mug geez
1: that's my john Shuttleworth mug it's great
0: alex thank you very much for coming on um you're more than welcome shouldn't have left it so long really should we but hopefully this has worked out quite timely and it'll come out around mental health awareness week or whatever it's called which will be a first for rerun and safety we've never put anything out timed with any of these days or weeks or months um i don't know whether That'd that's a lot or subconscious i'm not sure but thank you very much man. i really enjoyed that chat no
1: you're more than welcome and i hope it i hope it does kind of prove useful and that and you know thought-provoking so
0: i think it will for sure Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alex. Thank you very much, Alex, for coming on the podcast. And thank you very much for speaking so honestly about your experience um, in, in, with, with burnout and uh, and your own mental health. I know it takes a lot for someone to talk, so honestly. So uh, on behalf of the listeners, me and everyone at Risk Fluent and Rebrand and Safety, we absolutely thank you uh, for coming on and telling your story. Hopefully you've all kind of found that helpful enlightening or, or or supportive maybe um for you you know it it's a topic that might make you feel many many different ways uh but ultimately i hope it's brought some value i hope you have a lovely day uh don't forget if you need any help from us at risk fluent then go to www.riskfluentlimited.com or you can just drop me a message uh you can email me at james at um or All the details in the description below, on the show notes below, wherever you're listening. Or if you've got me on LinkedIn, just drop me a DM. Catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies.